Hello and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. <laughs> and I'm Matt. Uh, this month, Spectology has a spooktology. spooky spooktology. <laughs> <laughs> um, so most months we pick a book read it and talk about it over the course of two episodes this october on spectology the science fiction book club podcast it's spooky uh as usual (laughs) for (laughs) october we choose a horror or horror adjacent novel and like read and talk about that uh so this month we are reading what book are we reading that zone one by colson whitehead yes zombies (laughs) Yeah, this should be perfect. This is this book. Uh, I'm very excited. I haven't started yet, but I'm very excited. It checks a lot of boxes. It's going to be awesome. Right. It's going to be it's going to be really fun. Uh, we're here uh, to talk about the book. This is our pre-read episode, so it's spoiler free. Uh, we're going to get into the context. We're going to talk about zombies. We're going to talk about Colson Whitehead. We're going to talk about a little bit of what you might want to know before reading this book, as well as just place it in the pantheon of, you know, science fiction, horror, genre fiction, etc. cetera, uh, and hopefully convince you to read it. And then at the end of the month, we'll publish an episode that is us talking about the book in depth once we've read it. And uh, yeah, get to have our spooktacular spook fest. <laughs> hey, Adrian, what's at the end of October? Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is our goofy month. <laughs> apparently, apparently it is. Um, but I think uh, fall's cool. Halloween's cool. Yeah, it's, it's not month. fall here yet, even though it's it's actually October when we're recording this. But it is, you know like 80 degrees today in new york city that's also spooky yeah climate change (laughs) jesus (laughs) like a lot of Uh, horror sometimes it gets to be too real Um. (laughs) so uh let's see we should before we go on talk about the book a little bit uh in a section commonly known as book (laughs) facts I was like probably uninterpretable. Um, book facts. <laughs> book facts. <laughs> right. We're going to talk about the book. Is this uh, going to be editable? Jeez. This is like nonsense. No, this is not <laughs> going to be edited. We are going straight <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. So um, first we should talk about content warnings because we haven't read the book. So we don't know what content warnings are going to be. This is a reprisal of last month. Yeah. Uh, it is post-apocalyptic zombie fiction. You can imagine it's going to have at minimum the sort of like violence associated with those kinds of books um, and TV shows and movies and other stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, beyond that, I'm not really sure. We'll get into yeah. it, you know, when if I had we to do guess, the post read. Uh, just one quick thing. Uh, having read Underground Railroad, which is another Colson Whitehead book, I will say that he does not shy away from some tough stuff, at least in that book. So I wouldn't be super surprised if there's some really tough stuff even beyond violence in this book. But we'll get back to you when we've read it. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, can't say what that will be. And but that that is a good point that he as a writer tends to not shy away from the harder bits. So 
this book was published in 2011. I believe it was published in October of 2011. Oh, nice. Um, it is what it's his like third book or something like that. It's, it's not his, his third first. or fourth. Yeah, it's not. Uh, he he had been writing for quite a while, a uh, third or fourth novel, and he'd also written for the Village Voice for many years, and and he'd written a number of other uh, other types of things in other venues. So, mm-hmm. um, he's already an accomplished author by the time this book is coming out, and it, it indeed it became a bestseller. Right, right, and this was his sort of first foray from you know straight literary fiction into more kind of genre elementy fiction, is my understanding. Is that right, Matt? I'm actually not sure about that okay. one. Um, he he wrote uh, enough different things before this that uh, maybe it's possible. Right. I'm not sure though. Okay, okay, yeah. Reading some of the like reviews and stuff people were saying at it about it at the time, I got that vibe at least. Um, obviously, so Colson Whitehead also wrote Underground Railroad, which was published in 2016 and won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer, and I think a couple of other like you know maybe less big name but still prestigious awards. Uh, and so and that was a book that was like kind of alternate historical science fictiony type stuff about the underground railroad and slavery um yeah and a super good book i mean if you like this book definitely check that out also if you like that book uh you may want to join us and check this one out right that is one that i still have not read this is part of why i'm really excited to read this book because colson whitehead has been on my list for you know like five years four years now as someone that i should read and so i'm i'm glad to be doing it for the podcast it's like yes podcast achieving personal goals (laughs) (laughs) um this book was also pretty well received when it came out is what it looks like to me definitely yeah it got really good reviews from some big name literary fiction types john updike reviewed it positively uh, for example so it's it definitely got a lot of attention when it came out Mm mm-hmm I will say it's rating on Amazon for whatever that's worth is like surprisingly low um, for a book that we read. I don't tend to actually look at those, um, but they it is like a surprisingly like across the board, like an equal number of like five, four, three, two and one stars, which is like I've never seen that before. So I'm really curious to read it and kind of get a sense of like what people like about it and what people don't like about the book. I sometimes I imagine that it has. I just want to say, I think that's proof positive that the people that run Amazon are zombies. (laughs) My my guess is it has something to do with the fact that this is a real mix of like genre fiction and literary fiction and it makes it a little bit harder it's like less accessible for both maybe genre readers and literary fiction readers i i I feel like i see that a lot with these kinds of crossover books where it's like the typical audience of the author doesn't really know what to do with it and also the typical audience of that genre doesn't really know what to do with it and then like there's the group of people that it's like four who absolutely love it yeah it's a tough marketing problem i mean you imagine like all the people that love litfic and they hear about this new litfic author's new novel and they're like great sign me up and they go into it it's got zombies in it they're like zombies in my litfic novel outrageous (laughs) right right and also it's just like what's going on i don't even like know the genre conventions enough to like get what's going on with it that's actually really yeah 
And then on the opposite end, you have people who are like, oh, sick, man, zombies. And it's like, oh, wait, why is mm-hmm. he like talking about his relationship with his mother? You know, like, why? why? <laughs> it's not what I'm here for. <laughs> That's coach realistic mom right. relationships. <laughs> yeah, he has. A, I've read a little bit of the book that hasn't actually come up yet. But that was just sort of yeah. my like, you know, <laughs> exactly like lit code for lit fic. <laughs> I'm imagining like there's a chapter where like nothing happens but at the end he like has the vaguely uneasy feeling that he's realized something without knowing what it is <laughs> i think that's the book <laughs> meanwhile there's like a zombie getting closer and closer Man, you know but which is like i i joke about this stuff and it might sound like i'm being somewhat you know um harsh on lit fic but i actually really like literary fiction and i in particular like this type of like genre literary fiction lit fic like crossover so i joke with love because I, I like all this stuff I'm making fun of is because I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> I also like literary fiction um, for certain values of literary fiction. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I mean, like I like science fiction for certain values of science exactly. fiction. There's, you know, what what is it? Sturgeon's law, like most of everything is shit. So <laughs> uh, you know, that said, I don't expect this to be what I've read so far. Yeah, I've read the first like 15% of my Kindle. And so far I'm really liking it. It's really fun so far. Um, it's different than anything else we've read too, which I am always happy about. Yeah. Um, so Adrian, that is a maybe potential segue into why we picked this book. Why yeah. are you interested in this book? Right. Well, I know I'm interested in it because I've never read Colson Whitehead before and I wanted to read something. And this is maybe a little bit more, um, it's a shorter book than Underground Railroad is and the length of Underground Railroad and kind of difficulty of reading it has always like put us off of it a little bit for the podcast just because it's like a very long, very intense and very dense novel. Like I've read part of that novel and it took me like per page like twice as long as it normally does for me to like read novels. Um, it, it's slow going compared to like the usual sort of more escapist type stuff that we read. Whereas this is faster and easier and also shorter. It's about 300 pages long. So I think it works a little bit better. Uh, And then also, I mean, like we said, it's October. We like doing this sort of like, you know, last October we read um, the Ballad of Black Tom Uh, this October getting to read this. Like I really kind of like this idea of reading maybe like, you know, horror like kind of almost like subversive horror novels or like you know horror novels that are like playing around with the horror genre and like you know the sort of horror novels i like to read essentially uh for october it's like a fun it's like a fun game you and i get to play you know it's a fun thing like we get to do to have like october be this month yeah i mean you got to enjoy enjoy the seasons enjoy life as it comes and i say that yeah I was going to ask what about, cause you recommended this book in particular, or at least had like suggested it. I didn't, I didn't know it existed until you suggested it. Yeah, I was, so I, I uh, read underground railroad when it came out and I really loved it. it. I thought it was a really excellent book and it's hard to categorize kind of, we've alluded to the fact that it crosses genres. Um, it, it you know, it, it really is hard. I think a lot of um, the marketing push for Underground Railroad kind of de-emphasized the elements of the book that are a little more specficy, um, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people may not realize that it contains stuff like that, um, or that his work, Colson Whitehead's work, um, contains stuff like that in general. Uh, but it does, and it always has. And so I've always been interested in reading more of his stuff, 
and uh, Zone 1 in particular, because I knew it had zombies, I was interested in for a while, but I never got around to reading it. And this seemed like a great opportunity. I mean, it's it fits our theme, our sort of October theme, which I love, you know, doing. I, 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 what I, a thing I used to do once upon a time was try to um, uh, do readings of horror stories, like short horror stories uh, around mm. Halloween time. With oh, my friends, fun. like with friends. And yeah. 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 And, uh, <laughs> stuff like that is, you know, like telling spooky stories around a fire. Um, I, oh, I like that too. Fun. The, any, any opportunity to kind of take advantage of the vibe of the season and just like, you know, vibe with it. <laughs> love it. I love, love vibing it. with the vibe. You got to vibe with vibes. <laughs> I mean, nice. Cool. I know that's, that's great. And, um, you know, you also mentioned earlier, like a sort of quote about like Colson Whitehead writing this book as oh, yeah. him wanting to revisit some of the books he read as a kid. I got, I got the sense. Could you, yeah, you yeah. He mentioned, yeah. He mentioned in a, in an interview at one point that zone one for him was an opportunity to kind of revisit his love of Stephen King and Isaac Asimov and the merging of those two loves uh, from when he, when he was little. Um, he grew up uh, on those. He's he's like an incredibly well-read guy, mm-hmm. a very broadly well-read guy. And so, you know, it, it it's I think when he was being interviewed about that, it was potentially, you know, he, he, he kind of has has this literary pedigree. He went to Harvard. He's super well educated. Mm-hmm. He's friends with famous poets. He's, I mean, he was a MacArthur fellow. Like he, he was exactly he was yeah. he got a genius grant in, in 2002. So the idea that he would like have this childhood love of Stephen King and Isaac Asimov, which are sort of coded as not those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when he was saying this, it was, you know, and when he's sort of using some of the tropes from stories like that, he's he's sort of purposely he's doing so very purposely and, and trying to bring them into the same conversation um, with intent. Man, it's wild how much the culture has changed just from like 2010, 2011, when he was giving so true that interview. Cause like now I feel like you wouldn't have to make that case in like the LA review of books or, yeah. or, or, or yeah, I have no idea where he was making this case, but like, I feel I like this is just either, yeah. not, not a case you would actually have to make that there's like worthwhile elements of genre fiction. It is crazy to think, but I mean, you know, like uh, in the aughts, for instance, um, the the it was still a new idea that movies like Lord of the Rings could be big hits. Mm-hmm. The idea mm-hmm. that a big fantasy or science fiction movie, science fiction was a little more, you know, already people recognize right. thanks well, Star to Star Wars. Wars. Right. There's a long pedigree, and even Matrix. Avatar yeah. around that same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was an idea that a science fiction story can can be popular mm. um but but like sort of generally kind of subaltern culture was not yet like collectively thought of as a thing that you could just like willy-nilly use for you know productive economic purposes it was just like this it was weird it was still weird right you well know? and there's something in particular that like what he's doing with that quote because often you know maybe not often, but there's this stereotype of like the literary fiction author writing science fiction or genre fiction and having the attitude of like, oh, well, all the stuff that's come before has been terrible and I'm going to do a great, <laughs> better job at it. Right. And that's ex- actually explicitly what Colson Whitehead is not doing. Right. Like he is placing himself. We talk about lineage a lot. He's placing yeah. himself in the same lineage as Asimov and King. And he's placing himself squarely of like, I'm not trying to come in here and do it better, but rather like go back to some of my own roots and get to explore that. Also given 
the way that I'm a writer and what I like to write about yeah. the way that I do write, um, which I, I, I both like that attitude a lot. You know I mean? That's also maybe yeah. the attitude of authors like Ian Banks, who was also a literary author who crossed over into science fiction quite frequently and fantasy and other stuff. Um, but yeah, it's not I think always it's, yeah. the attitude taken by these authors. No, that's totally true. And I, I do also think that it's, it's a move that critics make. Um, critics will, yeah. what, what, regardless of what the author has said, critics will often say like, oh, you know, critics who perhaps, you know, earn, er, you know, earn their stripes talking about a certain kind of art, uh, when they are, you know, called on or when they choose to talk about a different kind of art, they can kind of bring a lot of preconceptions to that. So yeah. people who, have, who are not used to talking about, uh, sci-fi or spec fix stuff, uh, when they come into that world, they kind of, they don't know the rules. They don't know the tropes. They don't know the lineages. And so they kind of. Right. Yeah, I'm remembering in particular when um, uh, Station Eleven came out. I don't know if we've talked about Station Eleven on the pod at all. Like I think a, we probably a mentioned bit, it. a wee bit. Yeah, it's a it's a post apocalyptic literary fiction novel that came out a few years ago by Emily St. Vincent Mandel, and um, I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed that book. Uh, there was a lot of uh, I remember there being a lot of like writing about it on the internet that kind of didn't wasn't super aware of the the sort of various lineages that she was pulling right, from when she wrote right. that book you that know, was so like, like oh wow finally a genre novel that we can read sort of thing <laughs> yes yeah, a bunch of like people with monocles like <laughs> right you know right. like sighing happily into their tea or whatever like in some like park avenue apartment or whatever you um, know <laughs> and i'm glad you bring up that this is often a thing that critics do as opposed to authors because i do feel like the typical science fiction fan can get a little bit you know can go maybe a little bit too far in the other direction with this stuff of like oh like literary fiction is really bad and then you know it's like all these literary fiction authors who don't like science fiction trying to like come into our turf you know like it's mm -hmm. like there's some sort of like genre turf wars going on mm -hmm. i'm like for the most part i just sort of like don't give a shit and like don't really want to engage <laughs> with that kind yeah. of attitude yeah i totally um, agree with you but it is true that that added, I, you know, I, I think the idea that like there's some element of just like critics doing this is an interesting one. One I want to think about a little bit more, especially, yeah. you know, given that we are essentially critics on this podcast. Well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> another another thing that occurs to me is, you know, there's um, gatekeeping is a thing that like people in every genre have done. Um, nobody yeah. has a monopoly on gatekeeping. Um, there and, and and the other and the the other part of that is that, you know, genres change under the feet of gatekeepers all the time, and that's always happened. Yeah. When you know <laughs> Frankenstein was written, there was no concept of like a subaltern genre that it was like gonna or there was, but there was no concept of there was no concept exactly the same as our concept of a subaltern of, genre of yeah. like speculative fiction. There were subaltern genres, of course, then, but like. You know, it was written in such a completely different genre context. The landscape was so different that the idea that like it would have only this set of allies, it would have only this set of books that it's similar to. The idea that Frankenstein is more similar to uh, Robinson Crusoe than to, you know, Pride and Prejudice is a, an idea that I think like kind of maps onto some of the gatekeeping claims people make nowadays but like would have made no sense 200 years ago you know what i mean and and there are analogs to this kind of shifting terrain everywhere you look i mean you know uh the the novel i am legend classic you know zombie novel from like the mid 50s or whatever right. it was an inspiration to george romero and all of like modern zombie stories mm -hmm. you know that novel came out before there were things like things like it so much and right. so naturally like it didn't 
there was no idea that, oh, you know, so, you know, like, um, well, and one of the key <laughs> elements of that is it's not zombies, it's vampires, right? Like one of the key yeah. elements of that is that like, we think of it in this particular lineage, but the text of the novel itself is actually exactly about that's something exactly, different. That's exactly the point it, 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 that the, the, the landscape of genre has changed so much that like, if you actually look at that book and like what the sort of literary landscape was like when it came out, it's like unrecognizable i mean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know um and you could you can you know this actually we could just keep going naming other things but the, the the point stands so it's kind of interesting that that people get so silly about gatekeeping um right worked you know, up about it yeah they get so worked up about it and just like because, on all sides like you know yeah. it's it's like the science fiction fans do the literary fiction critics do like the authors do and it's just like calm down <laughs> yeah if you Everyone really want to if you yeah if you really want to like you know sum it all up you just think about the different genres that shakespeare wrote in <laughs> right right and you know you know i say calm down but i do again to my point of like how different a world like 2010 2011 was to now i mean i feel like folks have calmed down a little bit yeah and like particularly probably because of the movie industry like you can't be a movie critic and not write about genre films now no matter how highfalutin you are no matter how yeah. like indie you are like no matter what like you're going to have to like both like if you want to be a good movie critic you need to be both first in genre conventions and like you know literary fiction literary movies however you want to like call that kind of mainstream yeah. movie type um drama conventions as well and i think that makes for like a uh, honestly a better rounded critic when you can kind of understand a bunch of different genre types like that um and also probably makes you like a better you know better critic overall given that you can like look at story for story's sake instead of being like, oh, I didn't get this genre, so I don't get this movie. Yeah, you've got more tools in your toolbox. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons why people have such affection for guys like Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert because yeah. he was he would write a review of whatever the movie was, and right. he would he was willing to say, look, look, you know, I don't know if you would compare this movie to Citizen Kane, but I loved it. And I also love Citizen Kane. You know, he would say stuff like that all the time. Well, in particular, one of the things he did there too, which was really great, was like. You know, it, it, there he too, he's not just talking about genre versus non-genre. He's also talking about blockbuster versus like art film or, you yeah. know, like Oscar bait versus, you know, lots of people going to, you know, whatever the like, you know, all these sort of like divisions that we create mm -hmm. within art um, mm -hmm. and particularly within commercial art, such as books and movies, which are commercial mm -hmm. art. Um you know, he was really good about, right, exactly that of like, I'm going to like both, both take every movie on its own terms and watch it on its own terms. And then also give my subjective experience of that and understand that I like different things. And like, you know, I can like both the blockbuster and think it has values as well as the art house film and think that has values. Totally. So do you want to talk about zombies? We should probably talk about zombies. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get uh, too far into it, we should also say that we um, we recognize that the concept of a zombie is something that has a sort of fraught cultural and political history. Right. And we're not going to talk about that too much on this episode, but we did do an episode with um, uh, James Mendez Holtz, who 
is much more of an expert on that stuff, especially um, Caribbean and West African cultural stuff than mm-hmm. we are. And so you should please take a look at that episode for more of a discussion of some right. of those some of those issues. With the general idea being that originally this concept of zombie is something from these West African, Caribbean, and eventually kind of like South of America uh, religions, and is actually a religious concept that got kind of taken and appropriated, I mean, for lack of a better word, and like right. used in these commercial ways, uh, and in ways that, it, you know, especially I think early on, we're very not considerate. It is to the point now where it is such its own cultural behemoth thing in America that that cultural behemoth thing is like what we actually want to talk about. Cause that is what Colson Whitehead is talking about. Yeah. Sometimes but it does people, mean that yeah. we're kind of leaving out this important context of like, you know, it all comes on this like colonial background of these other people. Totally. Sometimes people make the distinction between Romero zombies and like, Haitian zombies or, you know, other types of zombie, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, etymologically, the word zombie comes from West Africa. Um, So that word itself kind of has has a very specific history that's rooted in, in, in this, you know, legacy of colonialism. But starting especially in the 50s and and then especially in 68, when when Romero's film came out, um, it really got kind of re the the. The earlier versions of the there was a sort of initial wave of appropriation that happened in the early 20th century. And then like that was sort of altered dramatically in right, the and reinterpreted 50s and 60s. New yeah, context. especially by the book I Am Legend and then by Romero's movies. Right. Um, John Romero, a filmmaker who wrote, you know, made a bunch of like kind of B horror movies. Yeah. And so since since um, uh, what is it? Day of the Living Dead. Is that the first yeah, one? That's I think that's the first one. Um, since Day of the Living Dead came out in 68, you know, that was Romero's first zombie film that kind of started a whole new. Maybe it's not whole new, but that started a new wave of conversation about zombie tropes. And mm-hmm. the sort of when we think of what a zombie is, typically people think of something that descends from the Romero tropes. Um, and then those things, of course, do have that, you know, they don't come from nowhere. They, they, right. There is the colonial leg- colonialist legacy tied into that. But one of the things Romero is doing is trying to use these monster tropes as political allegory and talk about them and use them as a way to talk about politics in interesting ways. And so anyway, right. Right. We'll so, so I, I, I mean, I think we both wanted to be like that stuff is there and we're not going to talk about it in depth partially because we don't have the background to do it in depth and partially because we've already had that conversation with someone who does yeah. have the background to break it down a lot better than us. So our, our episodes with James Mendes Hodes on Brown Girl, the ring by Nalo Hopkinson. Those are the two episodes where we kind of dive into that stuff. Yeah. And, and our, our, I think our useful background, plus that was a fucking awesome book. Um, and those were fun it episodes. Was. So the, that, that I think is useful background, but also from here on out, we're going to talk about Romero zombies, just call them zombies and like recognize there's that's probably kind of problematic but also the easiest way for us to go about doing this yeah and even since you know 68 there have been you know there's different versions of zombies nowadays among romero zombies and that's kind of where we're going to be talking right so we should you know i think there is this it's worth as we kind of talked about there's this like john romero night of the living dead uh, I think some other movies he did was so I've never seen any of the Romero zombie movies. So they're they're they are sort of to me like the prehistory of this concept of zombie. 
I've only seen the one. The first one. And he he remade Night of the Living Dead more oh, recently, right? Yeah. right? And it was not, him yeah. remaking it. I right? believe so, but I haven't seen that. Right. So this is all sort of like, you know, my actually this is this is maybe maybe how we should like what is your background with zombies? Yeah. Great, yeah. great question. So um I was not a big horror kid growing up, but mm-hmm. when I became like a, a teenager ish, I started to get into like sort of Lovecraft and cosmic horror stuff. And then right. through that, um I got interested in like B movies. And and that's a different to me, that's a different thing. Like, and zombies are this weird thing. Romero zombies, zombies are this like weird thing that kind of straddle the line between sort of B horror and like deep, subtle, mm-hmm. kind of sophisticated, mature adult horror. Right. And um, by B horror, we don't mean the horror that is Jerry Seinfeld's B movie. <laughs> that's such a bad joke. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but rather, uh, or maybe we do or maybe that's exactly what we mean this is actually a podcast about p-movie now <laughs> dear god um <laughs> i w- would apologize but i am not sorry yeah and the interesting thing of course is that like when you think of b-movies some people when they think of b-movies they think of for example godzilla or romero movies but both of those and, and arguably some other b movies too are are actually pretty sophisticated thematically and right. they're doing some interesting things and they're talking about real well, issues so yeah let's talk a little bit about what b movies are and this is i think an episode where we're going to talk a lot about movies because i think zombies do like romero zombies kind of exist mm-hmm. in this like movie framework first like they're creations of the screen that have been like brought into novels and there are plenty of novels now about zombies, but they are, I think originally like in so much as I think of like Romero zombies or 28 days later or, you know, whatever I think of like movies first. Yeah, sure. Um, and so that's why I think we're going to talk about movies more than we normally do this episode, but yeah. So what's a B movie, Adrian? Yeah. A B movie. The way I would think about it is, you know, B movie is, it's to some degree outsider art. It is, mm. it is movies, usually genre films made outside of the kind of traditional Hollywood <clears throat> um, financing and studio system made by independent studios, often independent filmmakers uh, that are usually genre films of some sort of another and tend to rely to some degree on like exploitive elements, whether that is like ultra violence, whether that is like, you know, sexual titillation, whether that is sort of like whatever, but these really kind of over the top, you know, if you think of like grindhouse films, those are Mm -hmm. sort of like one Avenue of, of B movies you think of, again, we're talking about like John Romero or, you know, Sam Raimi got a start in B movies. Mm -hmm. You think of these kind of like sort of like, weirdo nerdy outsidery type guys who are making these like horror movies that are that are campy right because when i think of b movie like i i don't know how much anyone else would think of this but i also think of john waters like i think of this sort of like interesting high camp low budget weird outsidery art stuff that also has like like that can either be like outside art or can be pulp but is often like a combination of those two things 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I also think of the the film products of foreign studio, a lot of foreign studios, especially foreign studios in, oh, in, in film markets that are sort of less moneyed. So, for example, Hong Kong films. Bollywood films, old Hong Kong and old Bollywood films. Right. Maybe not what they're making now, but in the like seventies, sure. eighties. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, I mean, those studios have big budgets like, like anywhere, but back then one of the feature, one of the sort of, you know, most obvious characteristics of an old Kung Fu movie, a Shaw brothers film, for example, mm. is that it's low budget because it has to be, and they have mm. to sort of figure out ways of depicting things that are cheap. And that's one of the reasons why it fits in so well, you know, among the American B movies, because right. it's similarly cheap and similarly kind of like outside of the American mainstream, although it right. may have been mainstream somewhere else. Yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of that, but I think that's a really good comparison of like, one of the things that makes a B movie is not necessarily what it's about or who's making it, but rather this like a combination of like very real monetary constraints combined with taking itself to some degree seriously, right? Combined with like some amount of like people doing it with like love and passion and because they want people to watch these movies. Yeah. Although, of course, you know, there are plenty of bad B movies where we've sure, mostly sure. talked about good ones. But right. And that's probably yeah. like I've mostly seen good ones because those are the ones that have survived. So there's this huge survivorship bias. What about here. MST3K? Have you ever watched that? I have watched that. Yeah. Mystery Science yeah. Theater 3000. Yeah. They got some B yep. movies on there. They've got some real, they've got some real stinkers. I think it's called The Creeping Terror. There's one that's called, I think it's called The Creeping Terror. The monster in that movie is literally like a rug draped over like a bunch of <laughs> wheels. Right. Well, this is, this is a beautiful thing, you know, about these B movies. The other thing about B movies is like they can often sort of circumvent whatever like standards of appropriateness like exist at that time. And I think this is why in particular, when we talk about horror, you have to talk about B movies, maybe more so than with other genres, because there is this very real lineage that like any modern horror film shares, no matter how big budget with the just like kind of like slapdash like blood and guts because like no one's going to tell us we can't do it type stuff of of like Peter Jackson's early films right which are like oh, yeah. just buckets of blood like so much blood yeah. it's hilarious <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of really great stuff that people have written about these lineages you know exactly because um, gore and B movie, gory movies and horror movies and B movies and sort of low budget sci fi movies all have a lot of like hardcore fans. Um, mm -hmm. There, there are these really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things that's been written about the very, some very specific evolutions of specific tropes over the years. One example that I'm reminded of is um, this is kind of a little bit far afield, but I think it's illustrative, like of the way these things work. So um, it, there's a famous Kurosawa movie. Kurosawa is, of course, the celebrated Japanese uh, film director of such films as Rashomon, Seven Samurai, etc. But he also did a movie called um, Sanjuro. And in that movie, at the end, there's a climactic sword duel between two samurai. And the whole movie, this is like spoilers for this, you know, 60 year old I mean, movie, but whatever. But right. in the climactic sword duel of this movie, um, it's like an incredibly tense moment. The movie is is pretty restrained. If you're familiar with Kurosawa, he doesn't he's not like a, a, a buckets of blood type of guy. But in the final duel, there's this it's like incredibly tense moment where these two guys are facing off with each other. And then there's like this one sudden rush and they cut 
and you don't really see what happens. But then one of the guys, this just gigantic gush of like way more blood than actually is in a human body, like spurts out of him while he like stands there immobile. And this, this is like a very sort of, you know, well-known moment because it, it was directly responsible for all other similar moments in like sword <laughs> movies and it's right. referenced in a lot of other japanese movies and american movies kill bill references this right for tarantino example. loves this kind of shit because yeah. he grew up on these old like b movies right. and kurosawa movies and but the fascinating thing here is that this um trope actually comes from an art film it doesn't come from a b movie it comes from a big budget highly produced incredibly successful and like thematically you know mature movie um and 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 it just sort of you know, easily moved across genres because these genre boundaries are completely porous and arbitrary Mm -hmm. to begin with. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and I think that's something you've alluded to a little bit of like, you know, B movies, like it's maybe there's some surprising element that they have both this lineage with art house film, as well as this like thematic seriousness about them. But like, I always associate B movies with like having something to say, like it's Mm. actually to, to me. And again, this is probably due to the bias of like the B movies I've seen or the ones that have survived and been celebrated and had something to say. So there's this like huge bias element to it. But yeah, to me, like I think of something like, you know, they live right. I think mm. of something like, yeah, maybe even the evil dead franchise. Where, oh, like, man. <laughs> it's like, like, sure. It's silly and funny and campy, but also scary. And also like, everyone in it is doing it both to have fun but also to like really entertain an audience and really like try to say something like they're not you know it's one of the interesting things is like these movies aren't like one of the things about you know again this being commercial art is like you do get this sense of like a lot of you know large budget hollywood movies can have a sense of soullessness about them a sense of like well if we say anything then we'll alienate the people who don't like what we say so we better say nothing at all (laughs) you know we better just be nice and like comforting and like that's not what these movies have to worry about like they don't have to worry about alienating anyone. Right. Yeah. And so like, and I think because of that, again, not always, but this is, I think also true in pulp where like, yeah, most pulp is really bad. Obviously it's like right there in the name. Right. It's like, like stories written on like pulped paper that will like later be pulped again. Um, but because no one is watching over you, because there is no committee, like it does mean that there is a chance to actually like you can experiment more in these genres and you can like play around more in these genres and you can like just do some stuff that will affect the entire culture because you wouldn't necessarily be able to do that first in a Hollywood movie, which is like, you know, worked over and picked at by like all these different people in this machine. Yeah. It's like the early days of the internet. That was our pulp era. <laughs> well, you know, it's like podcasts now, man. Ooh. <laughs> no, it's too late for us. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I was going to ask you, Adrian. Yeah. What do you think is the relationship between science fiction and B sci-fi? How do you think B sci-fi fits into a sci-fi specific conversation? You know, this is a really hard thing for me to answer because my experience with B movies came relatively late. Like I think in college essentially, um, and is mostly through the lens of horror. 
I mean, it's mostly like, honestly, probably like 75% of the B movies I've watched. And probably also part of why I like think of John Waters when I think of any, uh, when I think of like early Peter Jackson is because of like one particular roommate I lived with who like loved all of these kinds of movies. Um, you know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say her name on our air because that seems exploitative and, you know, but like in particular, like she lo- like I watched a bunch of John Waters movies with her and I also I think I was there for some of those. Pro- probably. Here's the other thing is she so she loved watching movies. She would just have movies on in the background all the time. And she had like 500 like VHS tapes <laughs> Even, and, you know, and DVDs. So this is sort of in the time where this is all sort of like mixed together in the in the like, you know, I guess late 2000s. Um, but yeah, we would, you know, we would just have these movies on in the background. And like when one was done, it's like eject the tape and put the next one in. And so there is something for me of like the stuff I have seen is really through that very personal lens. And it's stuff that I would say tended more towards the outsider art, tended more, I think, American than like foreign necessarily. So this sort of so I I think I have less of that, even while that makes a lot of sense to me while you say it. And also very much centers more around like, I would say like deviant art or horror art as opposed to science fiction, fantasy, like other genres. Like it very much kind of fits in this more like, you know, John Romero, Evil Dead, John Waters kind of thing going on. That's really interesting. To me, I almost think of like B-movie sci-fi as just being an era in in sci-fi i think of like the b-movie sci-fi as actually being like the exact equivalent of the sci-fi pulps right just in in movie form just like the 50s like if you're going to do sci-fi in the 50s it's going to be b-movie sci-fi yeah and and it's not true that there weren't studio sci-fi movies i mean there were you know the day the earth should still comes to mind or you know but Right. Um, or the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which we've, ta- exactly. we've talked about which both I love. of those films on this podcast before. Yeah. Um, I love that, that old mm-hmm. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea movie. But We know. It's one of your picks, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, or, you know, OG Godzilla. Um, but um, I think the, the interesting thing about that is that those, are, those, those movies are the direct descendants of, of the giant sci-fi blockbusters today. Right. It's exactly because they sort of spawned this... this um, the series of generations that the current generation can exist. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we have today the idea that, that like whatever the big new sci-fi movie coming out is like the same question as asking what is the big new movie that's coming out. Um, that you know owes right. owes its that that reality owes owes its uh, existence to to its to its lineage. Absolutely. Um, so to me, the question about like B sci-fi is just like part of sci-fi. It's no different really from any other part. It has its own history. It sort of fits in with everything else. There are a lot of connections between mm-hmm. these different, like Star Trek, for example, is like very similar. The original series of Star Trek has a lot oh, in yeah. common with B sci-fi a lot, but it has its own very particular take on certain thematic questions on certain on certain uh, moral questions. And so like that mm-hmm. kind of created another, you know, strand well, and that is really interesting given that like Star Trek and, you know, what Gene Roddenberry was doing very much happened 
in, in the, with the with the original series very much happened in parallel with the sort of you know new wave of science fiction stories and Harlan Ellison and like you know Ellison and Gene Roddenberry friends a lot of the authors who sort of like wrote within the Ellison sphere the dangerous vision sphere also wrote on Star Trek like I think of David Gerald as being like kind of my canonical example of that um, where he wrote the Trouble for Tribbles and the like War Against the Couture series. And, you know, these sort Twilight of like stories too. Yep. And like, you know, a lot of these, you know, folks kind of existed in this world where it's like they, you know, I think similar to now where, you know, you have a lot of like people who grew up reading and loving comic books, making these comic book movies and making them like in love with the comics as opposed to being like that nerd shit. We got to get as far away from that nerd shit as possible. Right. <laughs> of sort yeah. of like the like nineties and, and earlier version of like, you know, and even, even two thousands version of like superhero or comic book movies. Whereas like, you know, similarly you have in the seventies, eighties, the new wave of science fiction folks who like grew up with Asimov being like, no, this shit's great, but also like we can, you know, it doesn't have to be pulp. We can, you know, we can both be in love with it and like do something more with it, um, yeah. which I the, think. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just to say from the beginning, the pulp guys didn't think of themselves as as pulp. like Joseph uh, Campbell and like um, uh, all the guys that kind of wrote for um, the. Uh, amazing stories and like all the sort of biggest pulp magazines a lot of those people had what i don't know i mean there's like an uncharitable way to describe it and a charitable way to describe it the uncharitable way to describe it would be to say delusions of grandeur <laughs> like <laughs> right. a lot of them kind of thought that they were contributing directly in the same way that a scientist is to yeah. human technological advancement right um and that might be the way I describe some. So I said Joseph. Uh, did I say Campbell? I meant to say Joseph Campbell, not yeah. whatever I said. Anyway, uh, the editor of Ama of 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 uh, right of Amazing Stories. I think but, you mean John Campbell, right? John, Joseph Campbell is the, yes. is the uh, he, yes. hero with a thousand faces. That's right. That's right. Um, he, <laughs> he we, we, you know the the, the asshole fascist guy who yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> um, both Campbells probably had delusions of grandeur in their own ways, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, um, the editor of Amazing Stories, he, um, he would, he, he, he wrote, I, I have, I have read like writings of his that claimed that he was somehow directly responsible for the creation of the A-bomb, like the idea. Right, yeah. And it's like, dude, it's like, I mean, okay. no, <laughs> like, right. no, straight up. No, but, but also like, I think that is an important, uh, you know, thing to know about them and, and, and not just him, you know some of the other guys as well like you know asimov i think may have had a more subtle view of of his own importance but but he nonetheless yeah, like maybe well he wrote nonfiction about science that is pretty good true. like i read right. his nonfiction no, about true. science when i was a kid and i really i really enjoyed it and like he knew a lot of science like actually unlike unlike uh unlike campbell um uh, campbell and yeah so i mean you know it's complicated but basically they saw themselves as they didn't see themselves as writing trash. You know what I mean? Sure. Right. Right. No, that, and that's very true. I don't mean to suggest that. No, I no, do I, think yeah. though, that there's like an element of, 
you know, going back to this thing we were talking about of like, oh, like literary fiction doesn't get it, man. Like, and part of what I think that like Ellison, you know, like Le Guin, Zelazny, like all of these folks, part of what they're doing, Delaney, right, who kind of like fits between these two golden age and new new wave worlds are doing is saying like, no, we can be literary too. Like we can both be science fictiony and literary. And in fact, it's good to try to do both of those yeah, things yeah, at yeah. the same time. Yeah. And even when they weren't saying like, I want to write like Norman Mailer, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, mm-hmm. perhaps they didn't frame it that way, but what they, the way that they framed it was maybe like, Oh, I, I want to write sentences that have more of a flow. I want to have characters who are right. more re- well-rounded than, than Asimov's, you know, right. I, I want to think about characters and their motivations and maybe like judge them. Like, you know, I, I think of something like the word for world is forest where like, you know, Le Guin writes this very typical, like Heinlein style, like over macho male protagonist and like makes him the antagonist. Right. right. And like, like they, they get to start doing some of that stuff and use science fiction while being deeply, seated within the science fiction genre and lineage and these pulps, right. That they get to be like, no, I still like these things, but I'm going to like grapple with them realistically. Um, so, So, you know, and I think, I think, I think going back to the movie stuff, like a lot of movies do that now, you know, that's what star Trek, the original series was like trying to do to be movies. And that's what the next generation was trying to do the original series. And that's what, you know, like the new Star Wars films are doing with the old Star Wars films and all this kind of thing. That's what Star Trek Discovery tries to do to Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, you know, I still haven't <laughs> seen that. I know there's this whole new world of Star Trek stuff, but anything post Voyager is just like a black hole. I haven't seen any of it. <laughs> Someday Voyager I'll watch all, all Star Trek. Oh, yeah. But that would that would be a podcast. <laughs> would it? Or would it just be? I think Everything's I, a podcast, Matt. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. All right. Well, I've been convinced by your yelling someday. Um, so getting back to zombies and Colson yeah. Whitehead. Well, B movies, we'll s- an important part of zombie heritage. Zombies, an important part of this book. So um, what's your experience with zombies, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So like I got like I was saying before, I got into horror through cosmic horror and I got into B movies as a result of that. Okay. And so um I remember watching Evil Dead when I was young, mm-hmm. you know, that might like even the be Hellraiser the type stuff and the kind of HP Lovecraft directly. Yeah, that and, and then like old like like Bram Stoker's Dracula, um <laughs> like the Bella Lugosi one, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um or like uh Vincent Price on uh what the hell is that show? The like scary movie show from that he was oh god right i, I know what you're talking about i, I don't i don't, I don't remember, remember what it was called either. but that was like right you know that was something that i would watch sometimes my dad had a bunch of old vhs's mm-hmm. of you know godzilla movies and stuff like that um i loved mst3k you right because your dad's a big film nut too oh yeah so that Definitely. makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So right. and through, you know, and then I think, you know, like like so many people, like zombies wasn't a particular interest of mine. I just kind of absorbed it along with a lot of other stuff through the medium of like bee culture. And so, you know, like every other human being on the planet, I've seen the music video for Thriller, which is a certain depiction of zombies. And mm-hmm. and like I, I've also seen, you know, um, 
various movies that have zo- modern zombies in them like 28 days later like that's a more i see that feels recent but it actually isn't recent anymore is no, it no it's not <laughs> um <laughs> that is i mean it's you know like on my well keep going and then i'll talk about my yeah, yeah, history yeah. here so i mean i think like so many people i absorb this like general idea of of you know in our culture there are certain kinds of monsters and they have different attributes and like one type Mm -hmm. of monster is a vampire and it can do things like turn into a bat and suck your blood another type of monster is a zombie and it's a dead person that comes back to life and tries to eat your brains and you know and so forth and yeah that what's interesting is i don't what i don't remember from being a kid and absorbing all this stuff and growing up and like with it is i don't remember any of the politics i don't remember any of the like you know zombies as allegory um and that's actually a big part of it. And I think I'm, I, I, I get the sense that if I don't remember it, I think probably other people also, although I'm sure there are people who are smarter than me who noticed it, but I bet there's a lot of people who didn't notice it. And, and I think there's this general sense of zombies in the culture that are, they're just kind of one of the monsters you can pick from when you want a monster, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what about you, Adrian? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, so part of this, you know, especially whenever we talk about movies and horror movies in particular, it's just there, there's like, I was very sheltered as a kid and not like allowed to watch a lot of movies essentially until high school when I could be like, fuck off parents. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> and also they were a little bit like, yeah, fuck off Adrian, do what you want to do. <laughs> we're tired of being parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, for real, um, funny, not funny. Uh, <laughs> But for me, like, I was also, like, I was just, man, I was such a scared kid and horror was like a step too far. Like horror films were just like a step too far for me for the most part, right? Like I had a really hard time with them as a kid and it wasn't really, again, until like as an adult, like right out of college living with this roommate that I started like really beginning to appreciate horror films not just as like, oh, well, like every now and again, it's really fun to get really scared, but like, oh, they're really doing something that other genres don't do. Like the horror, at least sometimes serves a very real purpose. And there's something interesting about that, Um, as well as starting to watch some of these like B movies that are in addition to being like, you know, I think of the evil dead part two, and I think of both a movie that is legitimately very, very scary and legitimately fucking hilarious. Like, and it marries both (laughs) of these two things where it's like over the top and funny and ridiculous, but also scary. And like, you know, I know that like I, I've seen Raimi talk about this in some really old interviews where like for him, like being scared and like laughing at a joke are like two sides of the same coin. It's ultimately the same skill at the end of the day, which is like a buildup of tension and then a release of tension. And the question for him is simply like, well, in what way do I ask the audience to release this tension? Like, is it through laughter or through gasping, essentially? Mm-hmm. And it's like I can kind of like. I can have the same buildup and one punchline will be scary and the other punchline will make them laugh, you know? And it's like, but it's the same yeah. buildup on it, either of them. And like getting to a point of like appreciating this. And then I think finally sort of like along with at that same time, watching some of these zombie movies, you know, I think of in particular, like I think for me, 28 days later was the first time that I, I wouldn't say it's the first time I ever saw a zombie movie because that's not true. But I think it was the first time I really got zombies that mm, like so Danny Boyle's yeah. film that I like watched a movie that was like about zombies and really kind of like got it that like there's a few things going on in this movie. One is that it's not like 
during the zombie apocalypse. It's like after the zombie apocalypse, right? It is a post-apocalyptic yeah. movie. And I think there's something about that because I've always loved post-apocalyptic fiction. Like it's one of these like subgenres of like speculative fiction that I've always really, really been into. Um, and so seeing that as like, oh, this can be not just like horror, but also like existential horror. It can be this post-apocalyptic like things are bad society has broken down and these characters are dealing with it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, two, the soundtrack to that movie fucking slaps. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. The score to that film is so fucking good. (laughs) Oh my God. I still will listen to it. Um, it's just one of my favorite scores. Um, and like, you know, Killian Murphy's a snack. He's like so hot. In that film. <laughs> snapping so, and snacking. Yes. Yeah, sna- slapping and snacking. <laughs> slapping and snacking. Oh, <laughs> That's my new like podcast. A good night. <laughs> <laughs> it's my, you know, podcast about 28 days later. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, but that's a, that like, you know, and I think from there I, I have read a, 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 a some number of zombie books. I've watched some number of zombie movies. I would say probably most of the zombie movies I've seen are the like second wave. It's like the zombie movies that exist and are somewhat self-conscious that they're zombie movies. Right. I think of 28 days later. Yeah. I think of like, you, you know, um, wh- what was that one with like Woody Harrelson? Um, zombie land, zombie land. Right. Like, like the stuff that is like, the film itself is self-aware of the genre tropes and is both subverting them and like love lettering themselves itself to them. Um, what is Shaun of the dead? Like a lot of these kinds of films, I, I I've probably like engaged more with that. And I like those films a lot. Like they're fun. They're, they're good. On the other hand, I can't say I've read that many zombie novels that I really liked. Like, I think like world war Z is this novel that people kind of like rave about in our circles. And I just didn't get it. I didn't, I read the whole thing. And I like up until the last page, I kept wondering when is this going to get good? <laughs> well, I, like, I liked that movie. Uh, that book. Uh, yeah. I didn't hate I didn't it. See I the movie. like to, to be clear. I, I, I haven't seen the movie either. And I did not like hate the book in any way, but it was this weird experience of like, something about zombies on the page are often less exciting to me. You know, what's fascinating is um, there's so many different versions of the Romero zombie. And what's really interesting is that fast zombies versus slow zombies. Sure. But, but, but just like the thematically different versions, like Mm -hmm. the original movie, um, even now, like even if you want, so if you take night of the living dead and, you watch it now, um, you know, you'll get you'll get the political implications for sure. If you're an adult and you're like looking for it, you'll definitely see the politi- the politics. It, it's right there. But what's really interesting to me is that that movie, when it came out, was supposedly like the scariest movie ever. And like major film critics like Roger Ebert or Pauline Kael were like writing about how like, you know, you shouldn't take children to see it. You know, like Pauline mm-hmm. Kael wrote, quote, it is, quote, one of the most gruesomely terrifying movies ever made. And when you leave the theater, you may wish you could forget the whole horrible experience. Quote. And like, you know, if we watched it now, it would definitely not have that effect. I think I haven't right. seen it in a while, but like, you know, it's just, it's old and like old movies, it's hard for an old movie to have that kind of shock value 
because mm-hmm. the tropes are too familiar. You know, we know like when it starts to get nighttime, uh-oh, you know, like we're just too familiar. And so it's really interesting to me how well, we've very watched f- zombie land too many times. You know, we've watched sure. the parodies yeah. too many or, times. Or like, yeah, there's so many parodies everywhere. You know, there's, there's, um, Shaun of the Dead, you know, we, we mm. haven't even mentioned there's there's like zombies have become a thing you can throw into any movie now. You can throw them into a rom-com like like Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> you can throw them into whatever. It doesn't matter. But like when I do first... like Shaun of the Dead, though. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Like, I, I think that your right up. movies are dope. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, but when it first came out, like when 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 they first the, the sort of origin of the, the specific origin of a lot of like modern zombie tropes was originally supposed to be terrifying. In a way right. that, like, you know, kind of, it can't quite be scary in the same way anymore because we're mm. too familiar. And so it needs to start, if it wants to be scary, it has to do different things. Right. And well, so and it I has think to, that's one thing yeah. that 28 Days Later, like, both being, like, full-on post-apocalypse instead of, like, oh, there's, right. like, some zombies out in the woods. It's, like, no, right. like, all of society has fallen down. And then two fast zombies, right? Like, that, right. to me, really, like, cemented this idea of, like, oh, zombies want your brain and like can outrun you to get it (laughs) right and like that's a scary fucking movie yeah and i think you know for for any there's different ways to play it and if you want to play it for a certain emotion you have to do different things maybe than you used to have to do you can't just make the same story over and over again Mm -hmm. so i mean Mm -hmm. i think uh, a lot of zombie stories have this kind of very this sort of temporal specificity like world war z I think could only have worked could only have worked when it came out like when it came out yeah right um because it kind of depends on certain zombie stories not being familiar yet like it kind of depends on to me at least it depends on like this sort of like it's almost like doing a lot of like macro Mm -hmm. (laughs) like in the in the terms of like an rts video game like it's Mm -hmm. more of a macro heavy story it's more of a story about like big economies and like well it's a story ultimately (laughs) about logistics yeah exactly exactly um and like that works i think uh you know if it's new and like it doesn't work as well Well, it works until every story after that like you can have that one single trick and that will work until every single story after that is like oh that's a cool trick and also uses it along with all of their other tricks at which point having only that one single trick is like not as like like the trick becomes less you know juggling three balls is less interesting once someone can like juggle like seven pins yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, Night of the Living Dead is also doing a bunch of other stuff, which is why it's still really appealing. I think mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's also this political allegory and has interesting characters and et cetera, et cetera. What is the so, political allegory? Oh, I man, mean, someone who hasn't watched it. I'm going to get it wrong. It's relatively complicated, but it's about race. Okay. Um, it's about like the the ways that like different sort of uh, roles and stories are coded for different races and like subverting that interesting and um you know the zombies i mean like one of the things is that like there's like a a black character who um gets to have a a sort of different role than was typical for black characters. like this is it's coming out in the same year or like right around the same time as like look who's come guess look who's coming to dinner or guess who's coming to whatever whatever that movie's called yeah yeah um and so it's like a very particular time in american politics and american culture you know Mm -hmm. 68 was like a not any year, you know, right. No, um, but I, I'm going to get it wrong if I try to say the, the plot more specifically than that. 
Okay, cool. That's interesting. So that, but that's not necessarily just like the zombies are the allegory. It's like, oh, well, I have this like outsider well, art film. And right. Can... But it kind of bring like you can read it that way too. Like you can, I think it sort of by involving race and right. by using the word zombie, like it's, it kind of, it invites that. I think, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. it invites different things. It, it's sophisticated enough to, to invite different interpretations. Right. That is really interesting given like the way that the word zombie is used now and kind of the popular lexicon where you have stuff like, you know, like zombies as a metaphor for like consumerism and like following, you know, I think maybe this is the very like, you know, 2000s version of like pop culture zombies of, you know, like, I mean, like the ad busters era of like, oh man, sheeple, like all these zombies don't even know they're being controlled by the corporations, man. Um, <laughs> But then you also have this sort of, you know, this whole, I mean, like we should mention like another way we've mentioned zombies on this podcast before even is like philosophical zombies, pea zombies, this whole like there's this whole like like area of research on like the human mind in academia that is just like talking about zombies and whether they like can logically exist or not, which is like kind of fascinating I just want to bring up real quick that I suddenly, after I uh, made my comment about the word zombie appearing in the movie, I realized that I wasn't sure if it did, and I just looked it up, and it does not. The word zombie actually does not appear in Night of the Living Dead, um, which is oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, they... Uh, well, again, um, that goes to this idea that, like, you know, right? like Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein before science fiction was a thing, and like John Romero, by necessity like made the first zombie movie before zombie movies were a thing. Like yeah. That, it, that is the way this has to work. <laughs> it's not, that's not entirely true. Cause there was, there were some like different zombie movies in the thirties. There was one like, that was like super racist with Bella Lugosi, I think. Right. But like by zombie movie, I mean like a popular conception yeah, of what exactly. a zombie movie yeah. and what the tropes of a zombie movie are. Right. Not that and, like there's no, never right. been a movie yeah. that had a zombie in it before. No, 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 totally true. Because in fact, like, um, the Bella Lugosi movie was so di- like the reason he doesn't use the word zombie in the movie in the reason Romero doesn't use the word zombie in Night of the Living Dead is because he associated it with that Bella Lugosi movie. And that movie was so different from his movie that it didn't mm-hmm. even occur to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Well, and that gets to this way, like way genres are created, which is, you know, critics and fans and audience members <laughs> afterwards being like, oh, these things fit together. Right. Isn't it funny how things that we think are dead can come back? okay Uh, i see you shambling zombie um cool so end of podcast um actually though uh I am I am curious like where you want to go next with this because my you know like I said my experience with zombie films is one and zombies generally is like okay I'll say this I'll just put this out there being like you know negative Nancy Adrian like zombies aren't really my thing I you know like in the I would say like kind of early 2010s when like everyone was like all about zombies all the time and the like internet culture was all like zombie fucking everything I never really got it. Like I've never been like, I, again, I've enjoyed some of these specific movies. I've enjoyed some of these specific stories, but I've never really been into this like zombie as 
and like particularly like Romero zombie or 28 days later zombie as like this sort of like pop culture, like touchstone that is like well-beloved. Like I've never fully like, you know, bought into whatever that kind of like thing is. And so I'm, you know, I'm curious in reading this story too, because I can't particularly think of any, zombie novels I've ever read that I've really loved. I've loved a lot of post-apocalyptic novels and like maybe the closest is something like, and again, I didn't even really love it, but it's another vampire story, which is the passage, which was Mm. like fine. And like this novel seems to have some kind of like zone one and the passage seem to have some sort of like overlap similarity so far. So I'll, I'll talk about that more in the post read, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to read this novel because I don't, I think that in some ways I'm like, ah, all this stuff is like well and good, but I've also never been the like audience for it necessarily. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that you say that because, um, I never really thought of zombies as like a specific thing. The only sense in which I would think of them as a specific thing was the story of the, there's a kind of, a you know, classic, tr- the classic trope of small band of friends slash companions, you know, confronted with the entire like world around them being turned to zombies and, and having to sort of deal right. with that and fight them off slash, you know, die heroically slash, you know, decide what to do. Um, right. That trope, that trope is, is a story that I have generally enjoyed. Like, I I liked even the beginning of um, The Walking Dead. I liked, you know, <sighs> I, I like playing. I like um, playing uh, like role playing games or video games that are set in a kind of a zombie scenario. Right. There's a, the the thing is though that the the sort of really fun the fun version of this is like not the same as the original Romero version of this. Like, it's what not, do you mean by that? Well, I think there's something like kind of, you know, uh, depressing or nihilistic about the like the actual story. The original story is like, oh, they all die. Right. Like they all get killed by the zombies. And that's not as fun as uh, either playing that super campy. All right. Same story, but super camp or they live, you know, they somehow live you know, or they like mm-hmm. found a new society or like there's all these different variations where it's, just, it's not quite as nihilistic either because it's sort of played for laughs sometimes or like it's just silly, you know, or like, you know, they're in a mall, <laughs> you know, they're fighting zombies in a mall, you know, like and the mannequin goes flying and, you know, it's just ridiculous and, and campy. Um, even if they all still die, it's kind of like it, it's played for entertainment, you know, rather than just mm-hmm. for horror for cosmic horror or for like existential mm-hmm. dread or whatever mm-hmm. it's kind of weird how this fundamentally sort of dreadful story um has been reimagined as something like kind of fun and like almost upbeat even like imagine the like sort of people like with silly weapons like fighting their way through hordes of zombies like while wow, this like cool rock music plays like that's right. like a more nowadays that's a more common version of of the of the thing right well and i think <laughs> that's exactly like the the thing that i have always sort of like been like okay fine guys i get it like you like this but i'm just, it's like yeah. you know that said like you know the other fun, two though. sort of like <laughs> zombie fiction media 
that I have engaged with and really, really liked are video games. Yeah. Like Left 4 Dead 2 and Nazi Zombies from Call of Duty in particular are what I'm thinking. Like, man, I used to play so much Nazi Zombies. Like Like that little like mini game at the end of the game was so much fun. Um, and same, like, you know, Nate actually, who's been on the podcast before, like bought me left for dead Two at one point and we like played a bunch of that, you know, like over and over again. And like those, those have been really fun for me. But again, that's this element of like, you know, sort of like it's this power fantasy and you don't have to feel guilty for like mowing through, you know, like crowds of people. Cause they're not really people. They're the undead. And so there's, right. you know, they're there's something dead, very yeah. like, yeah. I think that's the attraction of of like a slasher film with like people fighting zombies in a mall or, you know, zombie mm-hmm. land or like mm-hmm. any of the sort of fun camp versions like it's it's a video game, you know, and you're just sort of enjoying right. the silliness and like kind of almost visceral literal or literally visceral yeah. thrill of of like the viscera flying everywhere. Right. There really should be a word for this like genre of like movies that are not actually based on video games, but are video game movies nonetheless. Like I'm thinking of like Source Code or Zombieland or, you know, <laughs> Source Code. Like, <laughs> Source Code is absolutely a movie about a guy playing a video game over and over and over again. I mean, like that's what it's a video game movie. I will die on this fucking hill. <laughs> I don't think that's a crazy take. It's just funny. <laughs> I, I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> is that Jake Gyllenhaal? Is that that one? Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's the 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 David Bowie's son was the director. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I so, like his films. There's I a even, movie. I I didn't really like Warcraft. That's that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie from the '70s that's about a bunch of people holed up in a police station fighting off hordes of like urban youth. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Do you remember this movie? No, I have no idea. It's I'm not me, I'm not as versed in this stuff as you are. So this is not a zombie movie, um, but it like is kind of a zombie movie. And that's why I, th- I just sort of thought of it. Um, oh, this I mean, that's like a very well known like, cult movie, like terribly racist and bad. And well, of exactly, exactly. Um, and it's I think like part of the sort of reason I wanted to make this comparison is that there's a lot of movies that kind of are similar to zombie movies that are problematic and sort of ways that are similar to some zombie movies, but not Mm -hmm. others. And Mm -hmm. there's this really interesting nexus of like questions about, especially race in America um, that come up with these movies, like any movie that involves mowing down hordes of X inevitably will involve if it's a serious movie in any way. And even if it's not, you know, you might, if you ever make the mistake of stopping and thinking about who's exactly getting mowed down and why, like, (laughs) right. Well, I mean, even just the like concept of like, you know, shambling hordes of others coming to like take our stuff and turn us into them. I mean, that speaks to so many of these like racist right wing kind of like, you know, like fantasies ultimately of like, Oh, like the, the, you know, Mexicans coming or the, you know, Islamic terrorists coming or, or like whatever, like insert person here is to these people. But like, I think that, you know, a lot of this kind of the sort of like Romero zombie language has like seeped into the political discourse. 
Yeah, very much in so. A uh, bad or, or, way. Or rather, in like it was, an only yeah. bad way. <laughs> or, or rather, it like was there before, and then it seeped into these movies. You know, like right. The right. It's just kind of interesting when you when you think about zombie movies. There, there, there. There's a lot of zombie movies that are fraught, but the other interesting thing is that they don't have to be. Um, you can imagine movies that involve, like if you if you if you do it in the right way, you can you can do a lot with this. Um, like another mm. thing that I think about is, um, you know, the idea of the dead coming back to life and like not liking the living is a much uh, like more popular or like it, it occurs in a lot more places throughout global culture than just zombies. You know, when you conceive of it in the right way, like the sort of the concept of a Romero zombie, which, or, which is to say like the concept of this corpse coming back to life and attacking, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that can be found in a lot of different places all over the, like, you know, in, 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 in Chinese sometimes like in, you know, there's this cult idea of a jiangshi, which is sort of similar. Um, in uh in every culture in the world the idea that the dead might want something from the living or they might have some ability to affect the living or or something like that mm-hmm. this is super common and corpses in particular moving and like attacking is is super common so it's really interesting how incredibly broad some of these concepts are while at the same time like some of the specific ones are so kind of weird and and like fraught with political significance I don't know. It's it's like a weird nexus of things and and it's kind of fun to right. interrogate. That is interesting. You know, I mean like obviously well, I mean maybe not obviously to some of our listeners but like Colson Whitehead is a African American author and it is interesting to talk about this who writes about African American issues very frequently. And I wasn't actually thinking about that when choosing this novel, but it is I wonder the degree to which this will come up in the novel. Like, oh, I, I'm I, sure I have it will. no idea yet, you know, but it's like, I this sort will be of, a really interesting conversation to have at the, uh, you know, once we've read oh, it. I actually assume that like, I haven't read the book yet at all, but I assume right. it will. Um, right. Because zombies as, as racial, uh, as like window into racial politics in America is absolutely right. just this classic thing. Well, and especially, you know, as a black man who like grew up in New York City and this book is set in New York City and there being all of these, you know, especially in the 80s of like, you know, these uh, broken windows policing, like the idea of the super predator, like just gangs or whatever. I mean, there's all like to your point, like these urban youths come to, you know, like attack the white people. Um yeah, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of like that angle of this at all. So this will be this will be really interesting to read and kind of like get a get a sense of, you know, like to what degree that is used as a metaphor in this book. Totally. Because yeah. so far it hasn't been, interestingly enough. Yeah, yeah. It's well, I'm really I looking forward it. to Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't know. And I'm really looking forward right. to finding out. It's going to be pretty cool. It will be pretty cool. So, I mean, with that, should we maybe get to reading and talk next time? Yeah, dude. I don't, I don't have anything else particularly to uh, to say off the top of the dome. Well, this has been fun. I hope it's been fun for other people. Um, I hope, you know, I, I would be curious from our listeners, you know, like, what is your experience with, like, zombies? Like, I'm sure there's, like, huge chunks of things that we've just, like, totally missed and left off because this is so much, like, you and me talking about, like, the specific things that we've specifically had Definitely. our own specific experiences with. So I'd love to kind of hear that from some of the listeners, 
you know, you can email us at spectologypod at gmail.com or, you know, preferably just like tweet us at, uh, at spectologypod on Twitter. And yeah, we can, we can, I will at least chat about some of this stuff, (laughs) uh, you know, and pass anything along to Matt that, that he might enjoy. Um, yeah. Is there anything else on your end, Matt, that you want to talk about? Assault on Precinct 13. I think that's the movie I was thinking of. <laughs> you literally of. like been ignoring me for 10 minutes. I have not been ignoring that. you. Yeah, I have yeah, not I've seen been the vacant you. look in your eyes as you like type that's on your computer. That's my normal look. What if I'm just it? vacant? What if I just have a vacant look? <laughs> yeah, I, I know it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm looking at you as your computer. <laughs> I know. I see I know. what the computer sees, Matt. I see what the computer sees. I know everything you just said. I'm a master of everything Your you slack just said. Your slack-jaw face as you type. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is there anything else that you want to say before you That was it. Up? I just said it. <laughs> okay. I was waiting Great. for my opportunity. Great. Because <laughs> I was listening so hard. That's- All right. Well, thank you to WJ for the music you're hearing right now and to Noah Bradley for our artwork. Um, we'll be back in at the last Tuesday of the month to do our post read. We'll have at least one bonus episode between now and then, maybe two. There's a couple of weeks going on. So, you know, we'll be back. We'll talk more about this. Um, I hope folks like this book. I, I'm enjoying it so far, even though I'm not that far through it. So should be a good time. Spooky. Oh yeah. Definitely gonna be awesome. All right. Bye Matt. Peace out. <laughs>